0: All right. Well, here today with us at SpinCast is Dylan Sonat. He is the owner of Strange Gaming that is based right here in North Carolina as well. But uh, without further ado, I want to say thank you for joining us today. I appreciate your time, certainly. I know you have a very busy schedule. But I would love to hear a little bit more about, A, who you are, and obviously about Strange Gaming and what they bring into the esports realm.
1: Absolutely. Um, so my name is Dylan Sonat. I'm from North Carolina. I'm from outside of Winston, came to Charlotte for college. And then that's kind of where I found gaming. I was a, a super competitive athlete type of person. Um, and then just found gaming when I was you know, recovering from an injury in college and being very competitive, I wanted to all in it. So I decided to try to go the competitive route. So I went professional in call of duty for about two and a half years towards the end of that. Um, it was part to kind of fix my own problems of, you know, teams and other players. And I didn't agree with management. A lot of times Mm -hmm. I kind of created my own organization to manage at the time esports teams. Um, and at the time I was also doing YouTube and Twitch. So I started kind of going down that rabbit hole as I got towards the end of college. Um, I'd gotten somewhat successful on YouTube and Twitch and a lot of my buddies and friends kind of were similarly interested in the gaming space. So I kind of transitioned from, you know, the esports competitive team side of things more and towards player management and content creator management um, and helping kind of outline their careers and everything. Sure. And then recently in the past two years, we've transitioned again. Uh, we're still doing that. We still have players. We still have competitive players, content creators and everything. Um, but we started to really pick up production because um, when you go to esports events, they tend to either be local lands with basically no production or a million dollar call of duty event and there's nothing in the middle so we help kind of provide Mm -hmm. the middle
0: got it got it and that's kind of a common theme with esports it's almost all or nothing um, for the most part so that middle tier if you will and that's a pretty significant tier size wise (laughs) there's certainly a lot of need um uh, in that space in general now you said you played uh college sports i know we've talked about it personally but what what was your sport of choice
1: uh, baseball um from three to nineteen, it was everything um unfortunately, I caught, so I wound up blowing on my knees um, so it was it was a struggle, but it was one of those things I think it transitioned very well into this because I kind of brought that like you know very practice heavy very uh, uh very disciplined approach to esports, which I don't necessarily think is always the case mm-hmm. um, and I think that definitely helped me be more successful in the space because you know I was used to baseball where you're playing everyday every day after school and then you're playing tournaments on the weekend so it's like it's a constant thing so it wasn't it wasn't abnormal for me to cool i really need to grind this competitive call of duty thing and then i need to have a twitch schedule that's very you know organized i need to have youtube to release on certain days and it was just very easy for me to kind of enter grind mode whereas i feel like most people it's like yeah like video games how do i transition into making money off of it
0: yeah Yeah, understood. And I like that correlation because the conventional sports, especially at the collegiate level and above, I mean, it's very, very structured. Uh, your routine on a day to day basis is not just expected, you need to do it or else you're not playing. Yeah. So, being able to bring that type of structure, if you will, and discipline over to the esports side is fantastic. And I think that's certainly again, that middle tier is something that they can certainly learn from um, as they want to progress and do things they need to do. So, uh, tell me again what specifically would you say was the moment where you said hey the production side of things is ultimately where i need to kind of gravitate towards was there an aha moment i mean you did a lot with content creators and things like that but then obviously you transitioned was it out of necessity or something you saw
1: i think it was both um for me it was as a player i was very fortunate because i came through at a time when uh what it meant to be professional was a lot less defined than it is now right Yep. Um, so like when I kind of came through, I, in the span of like three to four months, I went from not really playing call of duty to playing in a pro event and getting a top 10 at like an MLG event. Um, and then that's unprecedented now, like that's completely unrealistic. Um, now the only way you can kind of make it to that tier just due to the changing of the scene is you have to be able you get to be seen. Right. And, and one of the big, I guess my closest aha moment um, We were managing some players last year for the MLG finals uh, in Miami, so we flew down there and uh, they were representing our organization, and uh, these were guys that I'd been helping on and off for the past couple years through different orgs, so they're all my close friends, right? Yep. And one of them, uh, he actually wound up getting the opportunity as a result of that Miami event because the second or third round, we were a pretty low seed, but we played the number two seed, and we took the first map off of him. Nice. So we took the first map off of him. That player played phenomenally and it was streamed. It was, you know, everyone got to see it and it was like a big deal. So it it really made their name. So it was like an an epiphany at at champs that year when he was on their team of, he made this solely because of media coverage. He made this solely because he got on the the big screen, so to speak. Right. When you go to these AM events, that's not normally the case. Like the stream quality is usually bad enough to where people don't want to watch it. And you still have a ton of these top tier kids. And if you give them that high-quality production, if you give them that spotlight, it gives them the opportunity to be able to make that next step. It would be like, you know, you could be the greatest player you ever wanted, but if nobody had seen your footage or heard of you, like, no one's going to screw you. They don't even know to. Um, Just the same thing of just kind of providing that space for that middle tier. Um, And then the other thing is, uh, from a financial standpoint, um, the big companies uh, that do, like, the Call of Duty events and the League of Legends events, those are minimum million dollar productions. And realistically, I mean, in the Charlotte market, like we don't need a million dollar production here. It doesn't make sense. We need like a $50,000 production or a $150,000 production. But well, none of those guys would touch it. And then you would then go to the free tier and then none of those guys can do it. Um, gotcha. So it's just a, a big space. And I think, like you said, it's an it's a all or nothing type industry right now um, when you could totally be in the middle and it helps everybody.
0: Yeah, no doubt. We definitely need to grow that space. And it's funny, um, I've seen, luckily, I've been able to see a number of your productions, and you can't tell if it's a million-dollar production or not. They they look fantastic, so we appreciate it. Um, From a production standpoint, as well as from a player standpoint, if you could speak a little bit to how have events evolved over the years. Let me give you an example. Um, In hockey. Uh, it used to be you just watched the hockey event and that was it. But for some people that maybe didn't understand it as much, they started to put that laser on the puck so you can kind of see where it was on the ice. Uh, on baseball, they do the same thing. They'll show the statistics on how quickly it took the center fielder to get from point A to point B, and the percentages of actually making that catch. So it's kind of neat for maybe the the not the everyday fan, but maybe the casual observer. And I'm not suggesting to get examples, but just in general, have you seen a, a an evolution if you will on both sides
1: um i think you have um so i think you see from real life sports to where um a lot of people like will prefer to watch football at home right it's a it's yep. at times a better viewing experience yep. but so when you go to the stadium though you know there's a different viewing experience i think that's something that esports struggled really heavily with in the beginning because it's you know you're watching the same video game you're playing at home there's no difference in person uh, lee legends a couple years ago started messing with uh, augmented reality and uh, displays on their stadium mm-hmm. so like at their world championship uh, if you were looking down at the stadium in the venue like you could see the map live when a dragon got killed like it blew fire across the map and it was this really awesome thing nice um, and it started to make the real life events you know not that like football is not worth going to a football game but it makes it like it's a different type of going like worth going to it uh, esports finally have started to get that and i think that's something that we're still seeing and it's confusing to me because at times you see companies like League of Legends that do it very, very well. Hmm. And then you see teams like Call of Duty, who um, at their most recent event we went to in Atlanta, uh, they have, like, the tickers. Like, you know, like, see at a basketball game running across the stadium at the centerpiece. Yeah, yeah. They just had the logo there. Like, they didn't have scores. They didn't have anything. They weren't even using it. So, like, if you were at that event, it felt like I could be at home watching this. This is the same. Like, there's fans cheering, but that's the only difference. There's nothing. There's no value add or is it previous call of duty events they had like you know above the players they had what you know specialists they were using and then they had whether they were alive or dead and then you know it was very like you know involved um so i think that's something interesting something that you've seen in some of our events like you know when a team scores a goal like making the lights change colors like those things aren't intrinsically hard it's just thought a lot of times right um and i think that like you know you need people in the space and you need people familiar with the space to know that like hey When the red team scores a goal, we should probably do something for that. I think you're starting to see more of that finally.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And you're absolutely right. All the little things, that's what makes the fan experience so much better. Uh, You go to the Hornets basketball game, and uh, they'll shoot out T-shirts during a timeout. And it's probably a $5 T-shirt. But guess what? If you catch it as a fan, you're like, yes. And you see the entire crowd going crazy to try to get it. So those little things certainly do add up and make a difference. I agree with that. Um, let's talk behind the scenes in, in respect to production. Where do you think are some of the biggest needs? And this question is more so, so if I'm a, either a college student or a high school student, and I'm looking to a career path, obviously I'd love to go into a place where I think there's going to be a lot of job opportunity. So just from a pure needs perspective behind the scenes, what, where do you see that?
1: Um, I think production something that, you know, especially to me, I mean, I was completely ignorant towards a lot of it, um, you know, five, six years ago. Um, I didn't know how useful it was. I didn't know how impactful it was. Uh, and you can see it in everything, right? Like what we do behind the scenes is we usually have someone who manages audio. We have somebody who manages video. and we have someone that manages the game in and of itself. You know, the gaming one is obviously pretty tied to the game. Like if you're playing Call of Duty, you need a guy who knows that, you know, this player is going around this part of the map and he's going to be here. So I need to switch to him. So like, obviously that's pretty specific to esports. Um, but the guy who manages a video production, that could be translated over to anything, right? Um, Like any church, they do a service every Sunday and they need production for that. If there's a video board or, you know, especially given the current state of the world, like Mm -hmm. um, the ability to stream that, like that, that's something that's very, very useful. Um, Same thing from an audio standpoint, it can be anything from music related. It can be, again, churches are one of the biggest uses of this, Um, but it could be anything. And that's crazy from PA at a high school, like you could be the the guy who sets up the PA announcer or helps mitigate some of that or high school events. Um, some of the cool part about traveling this year and going to some of the cod events that I've been going to is I've got to meet people from all different spaces of production, which has been really cool. And, um, I met the gentleman who runs Georgia's uh, entire sports complex, wow. He runs it from a video and audio perspective. Right. And like his path to get there was just so like odd, right. It wasn't directed, <laughs> but but it's something that when you look at like a high school kid or a college kid and you say, look, like that's a really cool job. And that guy like does something, you know, he and does a big part of the SEC's work. Right. Um, that's really cool. Um, and he did it, you know, kind of makeshift and figured it out and got there. Like if you studied that for years and that was your plan, like you're going to dominate that job and you're going to do nothing but make it better. Yeah,
0: no doubt, no doubt. Uh, now, lately on television, obviously with everyone being at home, we've had a couple of events now that have kind of really started to focus more so on the esports community. You look at the NBA Two K tournament just recently. Yep. Uh, I think Devin Booker ended up winning that. Um, you got NASCAR that's now running their races on iNASCAR and things like that. How do you view that? And, and from pure production perspective, good, could be better. What more of those, would you like to see? Go ahead.
1: I think a lot of those could be better. I think, the, um, I, I think a lot of them, they're trying and they're scrambling because it's, you know, obviously nobody knew this was going to happen. Right. Nobody was really ready for it. Um, the iRacing one with NASCAR is probably the, the most, you know, progressed and most efficient and well done right now um and it's odd because nascar is not an, a sport that you know normally does super well um you, you don't usually compare it to basketball and football and baseball um but i think it's already kind of in that space i also think it's very interesting because um people who race in simulators are already very competitive so it, it begins to beg the question of are there people who actually race that good or did they kind of you know not that they bought their way there but did opportunities play a bigger role or does this kind of level the playing field whereas like you know, no one's gonna question whether Giannis is a good basketball player because Devin Booker beat him. <laughs> um, <laughs> Understood. But um I think one thing that it does prove is um, you know, people who watch gaming on Twitch and YouTube, they're gamers. Um, and that's probably not gonna change. But we most for the most part have all the gamers. We found all of them. Mm-hmm. Um now the more casual fans, like kind of what you were alluding to, the people who, you know, there's no basketball on, so they're gonna watch the NBA tournament. There's no NASCAR on, they're gonna watch the iRacing thing. Um, those are people who, you know, maybe are not gamers. Uh, and a lot of times the things that appeal to that audience are more simplistic games. Like games like League of Legends. It's the biggest game for gamers in the world. But like, you know, when I try to explain League of Legends to my parents, it's like impossible, right? There's no like there's no 10 second elevator speech for League. It's like it's crazy. Right. Um whereas like a, like an esport like Rocket League, something like iRacing, something like two K, it's like you already get it. Like Rocket League is just cars and soccer. That's it. Right. Um, when you look at, you know, iRacing, it's literally the same, just the cars aren't real. Um, so I think the simplicity of those things are the biggest advantage. I think that where you kind of begin to lose it is like games like 2k just aren't ready for They don't have a spectator mode. So like when you, if you've watched any of it, you're literally watching Kevin Durant's screen. Like it's not like you're watching a cool spectator version and you can't like do replays easily. Um, whereas like iRacing already has that. It has a replay system built in. It has an observer mode um it, it's kind of built for that uh and the more progressed esports are like that but again they're like league of legends to where they're not always intuitive and they're not what you know the masses kind of want to see because league was on espn about four or five years ago um mm-hmm. and then it just came back yep. uh whereas you know obviously a lot of people are watching the nba thing because it's nba and you get it and you want to see those celebrities i think celebrities have a big appeal and i think that's a huge sway but i think simplicity is key But I think this is probably a big call out to all the developers like 2K. Like, why do you not have a spectator mode in your game? Like, that's crazy. Um, And you see that with a couple other games. But I I think the simplicity is the biggest element. I I think production quality isn't like I can't fault the NBA for it because it's like they can't change the game. They're pretty bound. Um, NASCAR just has like a, you know, the benefit that iRacing is very well done.
0: No doubt. Well, hopefully, um, this is a good thing, meaning the fact that they uh, had to put on some of these events uh, with NBA 2K, I, yep. NASCAR and such, will get the publishers to be able to come back and look at, well, what could we have done better? Sure. intrinsically within the game so that if this were to happen again or if it were to even grow further on beyond that, um, it makes it a lot more viewer friendly and kind of go from there. So I agree. Now, obviously, we're all in the same boat with this uh, COVID-19. How has that affected you and your business? Obviously, you think of production, you think of live events, Yep. but certainly you're still working and, and behind the scenes, you're doing quite a bit. Tell us about yeah. that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, and for us, fortunately, it's ramped up a ton. Uh, I say fortunately, but we're kind of spread out now, right? Like we used to work out of our studio, so we have a set and uh, most of our equipment there. Um, So that's where we normally, you know, we're there almost every day. Um, Whereas now like we're kind of split up in our own houses and, you know, we're trying to navigate everything digitally and online and try to do as much remote as possible. Um, But from an actual like uh, opportunity standpoint, there's been a ton more. Um, We've had all kinds of crazy people from crazy spectrums and like from, you know, like TV level deals to low level deals. Um, a lot of companies are running leagues. Um, cause like, for example, call of duty, their pro league went on pause, other pro league went on pause. We had a whole bunch of amateur organizations that wanted to do like, you know, four, you know, month long league, four weeks, five weeks, something like that with big tournaments and stuff. Um, and then obviously they need production for that. And that's things that, you know, it's again, when you're competing with everybody, you don't want to be kind of the, the one with the lowest quality. So fortunately where we've kind of put ourselves is, um, Usually when somebody wants to win, they reach out to us, which unfortunately a lot of people have wanted to win. We're not, We just don't have enough time right now. Gotcha. Um, whereas before we were doing about one or two LAN events a month and one or two online events a month, um, we pretty much are doing something almost seven days a week now, Wow. which is cool. Um, but then again, it's also like, as we want to expand and bring on more people, it's really hard to do when you yeah. can't physically show them things, when you can't like, you know, help them with equipment and everything like that. Um so we've been trying to kind of coach some of the other production companies. We've been trying to, you know, help the leagues as best we can because we can't be there every night. Um, and then some of the bigger scale stuff uh, that we've been working with. Um, that's been about like, you know, kind of managing expectations and also trying to figure out what's realistic and what can we do quickly. Um, Cause like I said before, like some of the things we've been kind of given uh, one of the bigger companies that reached out to us, they gave us a list of a couple of games and said, Hey, this is, this is what our target is. Well, what do you think about these games? And it's like the two, two K and, fifa and smash and games like that it's like they don't have spectator modes like this is going to be so hard like yep. if everyone's at home and these kids are at home playing in their tournament like i have to have them stream to me to be able to produce it and that's you know that's not good it's it's challenging um so then you kind of limit your game pool and then it's you know it's kind of explaining that to you know people who are like normal people that don't really understand it were like well why, why can't you just play 2k and it's like well it's harder than that
0: yeah, right right No, no doubt. Um, so let's go backwards a little bit, and this would be kind of the last question, but it'll be a great question for a lot of the students' parents that are hopefully tuning in and watch some of this as well. So your career path, if you would look at it, kind of going back, is you went to college, were a college catcher. Um, obviously, baseball was a, a huge passion of yours, and then from there you transitioned after getting hurt into esports. A, how did that conversation go with yeah. the parents? And then B. How would, uh, how do they, A, look, uh, B, look at it now? And lastly, what would you say to parents that would be watching this?
1: Um, So for me, the transition in the beginning, it it was definitely, it was stark for sure. Because my parents and family are very traditional from a pretty small southern town. So like, you know, I didn't play video games as a kid. So it was never like, oh, he's a gamer. Like that's even an option. It was just like, I'm away at college. And then it's like, oh, by the way, I'm going to Raleigh for this tournament thing to play video games. Um, my, my family's very <laughs> like, uh, winning heavy, I guess. Cause I was, I was very good for most of my life at most sports. So it was, you know, why aren't you winning? And it's like, well, yeah, I don't, don't know this, but these kids have played for 15 years and they're really good. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they were totally cool with it. They didn't see it as anything, um, like financially viable. So it was like, to them, it was just like, um, it wasn't quite like baseball because there was always kind of the thought of like, you know, I had a shot at kind of going somewhere with baseball depending on, like, health, really, um, whereas this was much more of, like, cool, it's a hobby, it's a sport, it's a way for him to keep competing, but it's, like, it's never going to be a thing financially, um, and then as I kind of progressed through it, uh, I transitioned um, from a financial standpoint, because in college, you know, I was paying for my whole college after baseball ran out, and um, it was one of those, like, I can do this Twitch thing, and I can do YouTube, and I can make money, um, and then when I started, like, actually making enough money to, like, you know, pretty much pay for my college and living expenses and everything, all of that. Then my family was like, Oh wow, well, like I, I don't really get this whole YouTube thing, but like that seems yeah. to be working. Um, I didn't really think financially it was the most viable for me professionally. because uh, back then, like, when I finished top ten at an event, it was like a twenty five thousand dollar tournament. And that was a big tournament in two thousand uh, two thousand eleven. Um, and then now it's like a big tournament, it's like a million dollars. So right. it's it's different times, right? So for me back then it was very obvious that it wasn't, you know, financially viable. So then you know, for me, like at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm very business minded. So was, you know, how can I make this financially viable? So then that's where I push towards the Twitch. Uh, and that's where I push towards YouTube. And I really think like, you know, going to the, the end of the question you had, um, when it comes to parents, I, I think that, you know, you can make a career out of this in a diverse, in a diverse amount of ways. Right. And I think that, you know, I'm fortunate that I've kind of, you know, ran, ran the gauntlet of all of them. Uh, I, I gave a go at, you know, being a pro and you know, for me, it didn't really pan out that well. But for a lot of people, it does. And especially, like you know, that 16 year old kid won three million dollars last year, and that's a high school kid. Yep. Um, and you know, he could not have been playing video games as long as some of the 30 year olds have, right? Um, but maybe he was better, maybe he practiced better, or whatever. Um, and then you also see people like Ninja, who you know, he doesn't need to win anything. He's just popular. He's figured it out the you know the the content side of things. There's a lot of people like him. Um, and then. You know, there's a ton of people on YouTube and Twitch and other platforms that like, you know, I've never heard of and you've never heard of. Maybe your kids have. Maybe my friends have, um, you know, that are millionaires off of this. And it's, mm-hmm. it's wild to think that the top is so big, but, you know, anyone can make it. And that's really cool. Um, and like I said before, a lot of these skills and everything translate just like real sports. Um, you see a lot of people who are ex-athletes, you know, tend to go on to do really well in business. And that's like, yeah, because it's kind of bring that mindset and you kind of bring the skills you learn along the way. Um, and that's where I think both from a competitive sense, from a content sense, you know, I think the whole gaming, you know, kind of revolution that we're in now, I think that's going to change the lives for a lot of people. Um, because you know, you could start making YouTube videos when you're a teenager and then, you know, you could be a video producer, you could be, you know, anything. Uh, one of my really good buddies, uh, that I got to meet, in, uh, at the end of college, uh, he went to, uh, SCAD in Savannah, uh, to work with uh, film and he wanted to be a film major and he wanted to direct movies. Um, but he also was really good at Halo. So he kind of transitioned and uh, played through Halo and, you know, started making montages. And then next thing you know, he's a video editor for uh, Team Liquid. He's a video editor for FaZe, And then now he's wow. at 100 Thieves. And, Jeez. you know, he still wants to get to that, you know, director standpoint, but uh, right now he's uh, kind of building a big name for himself over 100 Thieves. And, you know, I think he'll get there inevitably, but it's cool because like, you know, his path wasn't gaming. Gaming was just a hobby that, you know, at the end of the day is the reason that he'll probably become a film director, which is really awesome. Um, and it's going to be cool in five, ten years to kind of look at, like, the high schoolers now and the past they take through college and, you know, through the next decade of their life of how that kind of transitions and changes. And I think that, you know, if you're a parent out there, like, it's something you should definitely be open-minded towards because, you know, there's definitely a pool of people that gaming is just fun and it it, it can be a time waster for sure. But it also can be very productive and it can be very beneficial too. Yeah,
0: no doubt. And I think you said it right there. I think um, not just to be open to it as a parent, but almost embrace it and cultivate it, make sure that it's done right. I think at the end of the day, anything done correctly, if there is a significant passion behind it, it's probably going to lead to something pretty good. So especially with the parental support and the family, familial support, etc. So um, that pretty much will wrap us up for today. We're going to be up on time here. Again, would love to thank Dylan for taking a little bit of time to talk to us, uh, especially getting us educated a little bit more about what goes on behind the scenes and how his uh, trajectory went from potential pro to uh, now starting his own brand and really increasing it. And now he's as busy as ever with strange gaming here in North Carolina. So Dylan, thanks again. I know we will chat again soon. I look forward to seeing some of the additional events that you've got on your slate and uh, wish you all the best. Stay safe out there.
1: Absolutely. See you soon. All right.